Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a brand new message from our series, Counterfeit Gods. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Come on, somebody. Uh, We got the TV out today, which means I'm ready to teach. So uh, Romans chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. Starting in verse 7, it says this. It says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. I want to call our message this morning, the debt trap, the debt trap. Thank you so much, worship team. You guys, can you clap your hands one more time? You can take a seat. So glad to be here today. Uh, Hey, do you guys mind just uh, looking at the person next to you and just saying hello, welcome to church today? Amazing. Every person online, so glad that you could be here today. my name's Harrison, if, uh, if you guys don't know, and just, again, excited that you could be here. So, uh, we've been in a series now for four weeks called Counterfeit Gods, and what we've been doing in this series is we've been looking at trying to expose different idols and or things that cause us to worship something other than God. Just by, uh, can you make some noise? Anyone been here for any parts of this series at all? Come on. Uh, so the last two weeks, we've been talking about sex and uh, just the counterfeit God of sex. And I hope that was helpful for some people. And if it was helpful, guess what you can do? You can go online and you can share a link and save a life. At least a relationship, perhaps. Uh, so uh, everything we do is online. And so, hey, today, if this is helpful for you, why didn't you share this? Uh, everyone that's watching online, easier than ever, you can just share this link with someone. So uh, as I said, for the last two weeks, we've been talking about sex. Today, what we're doing is we're going to take kind of a 180, and we're going to talk about money. Now, uh, for a lot of people, I think when it comes to sex, um, it, it's something that, like, once you kind of get past, like, oh, my gosh, he keeps saying sex. Uh, it's something that is really relatable for a lot of people. Sex, relationships, all those kind of things. Um, but I also think it's something that whether we connect it to God or not, all of us know inherently there is something spiritual when it comes to sexuality. There's something spiritual when it comes to relationships. I think it's something that like, we can naturally associate with God. Now, the reason I say that money can be a 180 is because for a lot of people, they may not so much associate money with God as easily as they do sex with God. Well, one of the things we kind of said in the last couple of weeks, we said that creation points to a creator. We said that sexuality was created by God, meant to point to God. Again, that's why there's that natural connection. Now, when it comes to money, Uh, If you're not well-versed in the Bible, during the creation account, there is no day in which God creates cash. It just doesn't happen. And so God himself did not create money. And so, again, that's kind of where for a lot of us there can be kind of this disconnect. Well, it's like, I don't know if, if finances is really attached to God. I don't really understand it. Sex seems relevant. Money. Harrison, just let's talk about something else. This doesn't have anything to do with God or spirituality. Uh, But what's interesting is that Jesus himself, uh, specifically in the Bible, he talks far more about money than he does sex. Far more. And so uh, the reason he does that is because I believe that although God did not create money, money is extremely important. I think in so many ways our money actually connects to God. And so I kind of have a thesis this morning I'll share with you guys. Um, And it's simply this. Our spiritual life is directly tied to our financial life. I knew it would crash. I told Megan, I said, my laptop was crashing this morning. Um, You guys are fine. It's up here online. Sorry. Love you. Our spiritual life is directly tied to our financial life. I think the reason that Jesus spoke so much about it is because Jesus knew. And so a lot of us are like, well, Harrison, where did you get that from? Did you just make that up yourself? No. Matthew chapter 6, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. 
So Jesus knows instinctively that wherever our treasures are, in other words, whatever we consider to be important in our life, whatever is foundational, our hearts tend to follow. And for a lot of us, hopefully most of us, you know that money is important. If you don't have any money, I really hope you live with your parents. The rest of you guys, you probably need some money. So money is extremely important. And so the reason it's important is because things cost money. Things are expensive, so on and so forth. The issue is, though, because money is important, it's really easy to make it the utmost importance. And when we do that, when we replace uh, God as most important with money, that is the making of a counterfeit God. And so as we say, it's like, well, Harrison, I need money. Money isn't the issue. We talked about sex. Sex is not bad. Sex is good. Money is not bad. Money is, it is and can be good. Money can help you in your life. Money can give you security. Money can help build God's kingdom. And so money itself isn't bad, but it's what we do with it. It's what we do with it. And so uh, money can be a tool that serves us, or we can use it as a tool to serve God. Um, so... Uh, Question being, though, it's like, well, Harrison, how come every time, like, I hear about money, specifically in church, uh, it's usually painted, like, in a realm of evil? You guys heard that? Um, Money isn't evil, uh, but the reason that money is overwhelmingly painted as a negative thing, specifically in church, is pretty simple. Numbers don't lie. So I'm going to share some numbers with you, and you'll kind of see why oftentimes money gets a bad rap. Um, But before we get that, um, today's message... If you can't tell by the TV, it's going to be very practical because I'm going to teach some stuff that I want you guys to see. Uh, but before uh, we get practical, I'm going to first get a little bit theological and kind of, kind of spiritual before we get into the practical aspect of things. Uh, one thing I want us to understand, we're in Romans chapter 13. Uh, last two weeks, we're in Romans chapter 1, written by Paul on the authority of Jesus. And I think it's interesting because when it comes to the Bible, and for a lot of us, specifically those of us who have a church background, uh, we can kind of, we might not always follow it, but we kind of accept authority when it comes to our sexuality, right? Like, yeah, you know, God probably knows what he's talking about. It's from him. Yet what's funny is that the same authority that we give to God when it comes to sex, many of us will not give when it comes to finances. It's like, sure, God, tell me what to do with my body, but don't tell me what to do with my wallet. What's interesting is that Romans chapter 1, talking about sex, is the same book we're in today, just chapter 13, talking about money. And so what I want to do today is I want us to be able to give the same authority to the word of God that we do when it comes to sexuality, um, that we do when it comes to our money. So Romans chapter 13, again, we read it off the top, but I'll see, I'll read it again. It says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no one remain, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So it's pretty self-explanatory, right? Paul says, give to everyone what you owe them. Let no debt remain. So uh, I want to say something uh, that might cause you to, to, to tense up for a second, but calm down, I'll explain it. But here's a point I want you guys to write down. You can write this one down. The mark of a believer is that we are debt-free. The mark of a believer is that we are debt-free. Now, some of us sitting there like, hold on, pastor. Like, are you saying if I have a student loan, I'm not a Christian? No, calm down. Calm down. I'm going to make an application in a second. But this remains true. The mark of a believer is that we are debt-free. And so this principle actually has nothing to do with money. But Romans 13 is going to show us why it transfers over to money. But the reason we are debt-free is because of Jesus. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be all over the Bible today. Galatians chapter 5, it says this. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us, set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I want you to understand something. Jesus came for one thing and one thing only. Jesus came to free us. 
It is for freedom that you have been set free. Now, we've talked about this in the series. For a lot of us, we get confused when it comes to what exactly it is, the freedom that Christ gave us. Really quickly, the freedom that God paid for us was not freedom from the government. You know who killed Jesus? The government. You know who killed pretty much the rest of the followers of Jesus? The government. So just, and I hope we stay free and God bless our land, all that good stuff. But that's not the freedom that Jesus came for. We need to understand that. Jesus came to free us from one thing and one thing only. And it is the debt of sin. That's it. It is for freedom that Jesus has set us free. Now, what does that mean? We need to understand this is fundamental Christianity, Christianity 101. This is known as the good news or the gospel. Can, can I share it with you guys? Each and every one of us, we had a debt. The Bible calls it sin. And what sin is, it is those things in your life that you'd rather pretend are not there. It's anger. It's rage, it's malice, it's sexual impurity, it's gossip, it's slander. All of these things the Bible calls as sin. And what the Bible lets us know is that God is holy. God is good. God is perfect. God is without sin. Humans, you and I, we have sin. So what that means is we have a problem. Specifically, we have a sin problem. And the problem is this. God is good. We are not. God is holy, you are not. And so literally because of the goodness and the holiness and the righteousness of God, sinful humans cannot come into the presence of God unless there was some way that the gap could be bridged. And on the cross, come on somebody, that is what Jesus did. And on the cross, what the Bible lets us know is that Jesus took all of our sin. Come on, somebody. He took all of our shame. And the Bible says that the wrath of God was poured out. What that means is that what was deserved for you and for I was taken on Jesus. And he paid the price. And that debt that you owed God has been paid. No, I don't know why you're not clapping your hands. The debt has been paid. And so the mark of a believer is so simple. When I follow Jesus, I'm debt free. I don't owe God anything because Jesus paid a price I could not pay in a million lifetimes. And so the mark of the believer is that we live debt free. Now, this is really important as we understand what happens when we live in unrepentant sin, meaning when I do not choose to follow Jesus. The reason I can't come close to God is literally Because if I don't choose Jesus, the debt remains. I need someone to pay it. And maybe you've been there before where you're living in a way where you're doing your own thing. You're not following Jesus. And you feel like, man, I want to connect with God, but there's just something there. You ever been there? Like, I want to get closer to God, but I just, I feel like there's something there. You want to know what it is? That's the debt. And the debt creates separation that actually keeps us from the presence of God. And it is only Jesus that bridges the gap. Listen, I talk about religiosity a lot, or religion. One of the things that religion says is that you must do a certain thing in order to gain the approval of God. If I do not do this, God does not approve of me. The danger of religion is simply this. You're trying to pay a debt that was already paid. Jesus already paid it. He paid it all. I'm trying to pay a debt, listen to this, that I don't actually owe. Jesus already paid it. And so one of the things that we do when we come to this place, the reason we worship, is that we are worshiping as a response to the goodness of Jesus. I don't worship out of debt. I worship out of gratitude because the debt has been paid. So the mark of a believer is that we live debt-free. Does that make sense? So now let's, let's go back to money. Because that was about sin, not money. Again, Romans 13, we saw it. Um, just, we can put it back up. It says, give to everyone what you owe them. doesn't matter who it is. If it's the government, pay taxes. If it's, if it's revenue, pay revenue. Respect, respect, honor, honor. Let no debt remain outstanding. Except one. 
the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. Now, here's the point why I think that finances are so important. Because in the same way, I want us to understand this, sin causes a chasm, causes a gap that keeps us separated from God. Financial debt can do the exact same thing. Now, I want you to understand, financial debt in and of itself is not inherently sinful. But it can very easily act like sin. It's not inherently sinful, but it can very easily act like sin. Why? Because it can rob you of the freedom that you have in Christ. Can I explain it very practically? We sing songs like, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. If I have creditors running down my neck, I don't care how free in Christ I am. I'm not free. If I have bills that I have to pay that I literally cannot afford, can I really sing where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom? I may be free from sin, and you are free from sin. But the truth is, money although and debt, although not inherently sinful, it can act the exact same way, where it robs us of our freedom. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, we already know that the mark of a believer is to be debt-free, right? So accept the gift of Jesus. But in the same way that sin wants to rob you of joy, so does financial debt. Maybe you guys have been in that situation. Maybe you are in that situation where you have debt or you have bills that you literally cannot pay. And that feeling is the exact same thing as sin. It's that feeling like someone's always watching me. It's that feeling like I can never really have peace. It's unease. It's worry. It's anxiousness. Today, what I want to do is I want to give us some very practical steps. This message is going to be so practical that I think is going to help us twofold. Get our finances in order. Hopefully stay out of debt, I guess threefold. Um, and if you're in debt, I want us to begin the journey to get out of it so that you can begin to experience the freedom that is in Jesus. Now, um, for a lot of us, it's like, well, Harrison, is this really relevant? Like most of us are good with our money, aren't we? Uh, as I said, numbers don't lie. So can I share some numbers for you guys? So um, this one's not on the screen. Um, average Canadian that is in debt. This is includes mortgages, so I think it's kind of skewed, but um, the average Canadian is in debt today, $73,000. Got quiet in here. So again, mortgages kind of skew that. So let's, um, let's just go to the average. So the average Canadian debt is $23,000. The average Canadian is $23,000 in debt. Now maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, oh my gosh, that seems so high. Maybe you're here today and it's like, that's it. That's the, that's the thing about averages and how they work. It's either high or low and they get together. So the average Canadian is $23,000 in debt. Um, credit card debt. Average Canadian has $3,300 of credit card debt. Now, um, all of these debts, again, are not inherently sinful or bad. Um, credit card debt. 9.999 times out of 10 is usually really bad. I'll just say that. So, uh, average Canadian, car loan, $20,000. Average Canadian owes $20,000 to Mazda, Honda, Mercedes, so on and so forth. Um, and student loans, this is a big one for our church, I know. Uh, $26,000 uh, of student loans. And so... The picture we're trying to paint here is that a lot of Canadians are living in debt. So the question is this, are any of these debts wrong? Let me ask, let me phrase it like this. I think a better way to ask it than are these debts wrong is this. Are the debts that I have wrong for me? That's a much wiser question than are all debts wrong. Is the debt that I have wrong for me? And for a lot of us, I'll tell you why your debt is wrong. It's because of this. And this is an estimate, but it is estimated that 60 to 80% of Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck. 
Again, it's an estimate, so who knows? It could be higher, but 60 to 80% of Canadians live paycheck to paycheck. What that means is simply this. Uh, let's say you get paid in a two-week time period. If I do not get my paycheck in the following two weeks, I literally will not have enough money to survive. I won't be able to pay my bills. I won't be able to pay mortgage, car, whatever it is. And a lot of times, this is where credit card debt occurs. Because I'm living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe I get sick. Maybe I get the Rona. And all of a sudden, uh, I miss a paycheck. So 60 to 80% of Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck. All this means is simply this. It means the majority, the vast majority of Canadians, if we take that statistics to this room, the vast majority of us are living with zero margin. We don't have any margin. Now, why does this happen? Well, here's the next stat I think helps understand it. Um, again, it's an estimate, but 60% of Canadians admit that they buy things that they simply cannot afford. Why do I get in debt? Why do I live paycheck to paycheck? I buy things I cannot afford. So can I, can I give you guys a visual picture of how most Canadians live? Imagine you're in a boat, and the boat is filling up with water. That boat is your life. Now, as you know, the water is going to sink you, but what these statistics are telling us is that literally, for so many Canadians, the boat is filling up with water. The boat is your life. Water is money. And instead of trying to get the water out of the boat, the majority of Canadians actually put more water in the boat. How? Credit. I'm literally buying things I cannot afford. Now, for a lot of us, it's like, well, no one would do that. Like, no one would make stupid purchases knowing they can't afford it. Um, and I'd agree. Most people probably aren't buying humongous couches for $5,000 when they're living paycheck to paycheck. But what happens for many of us, it's a death by a 1,000 paper cuts. So it's a Starbucks here. Extra grande whipped, please. It's, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a meal out over here. It's, well, I've been working so hard, so one weekend in Jasper won't put us back. The problem is when you have no margin, there's no room for error. And so 60% of Canadians say they buy things they can't afford. Perhaps 80% of Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck. And so what that means is the vast majority of people are living a life that has no margin, where someone or something is constantly creeping down their back. Proverbs 22 says it like this. It says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower, here's the part I want us to see, is servant to the lender. If you have debts that you cannot pay, you are literally a slave. You can't pay something back. You are a slave to it. And when we have no margin, the point I'm saying and why this is relevant for church is that we can't actually worship God because our worship is built in to freedom. This is why people that don't think they're good enough can't worship because you don't believe you're free. This is why if you want to know a dead church, a dead church is a church that doesn't worship because they don't know they're free. So they actually can't worship. And so maybe you thought it was because everyone was religious, perhaps, but maybe it's because half the church is in debt. And so they don't feel free. They can't worship. So um, that's the issue. And again, if numbers run true, it's something that a lot of us are dealing with. Um, and again, specifically if you're younger, I hope it's something that we can keep you from. Um, but whether you're in it, before it, I want to give us just some practical things that I think can help us get us out of it. So um, I'm going to go Dave Ramsey on us. Uh, he's, he's a financial guy. I'm going to go Jesus. And just really, I'm going to rip off a whole bunch of things I've seen that I think can be helpful for us. So first thing, um, I believe the key to reordering our lives is about priority. Matthew chapter 6, um, this is Jesus again. He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. I forgot to give you the context. The context before that, Jesus talks about worry. He says, so many people are worrying. Where's my next meal going to come from? How am I going to afford all this, that, so on and so forth? Jesus says so simply, seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and all things will be given to you. So, super simple. I want to live a life with financial margin. I want to get out of debt. The first thing I have to do is reorientate my priority. 
to make Jesus the center. Here's the issue and the reason it's hard. It's because this that Jesus is describing is what I call the upside down kingdom. And the reason it's called the upside down kingdom is because the majority of us live the opposite. So here's the graph and here's the reason I got the TV. I've been waiting for this. The majority of us, when it comes to our life, we, me, is what my life revolves around. I am the most important thing. And so, logically speaking, if I am the most important thing, if my life is a pyramid and everything flows downwards, the very first thing I have to worry about if my life revolves around me is how I live. Super simple. And this is, this is the bad stuff first. We're going to get to God's kingdom in a second. This is the kingdom most of us live in. Revolves around me, so the majority of my life is spent trying to live it up. Right? Tonight is the night. Let's live it up. Da, 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 whatever the rappers say these days. Uh, I was going to say YOLO, but then um, it's not 2011. So um, I live it up. So what that means is this. Whatever money I make, my first priority is me. And so me is compartmentalized. It's I got to pay my bills, got to pay my mortgage, got to pay my car, got to pay uh, my entertainment. I got to go golfing. I got to play hockey. I got to play soccer. Got to so on, so forth, so forth. Live. Does that make sense? The majority of people, and you don't have to raise your hand, when it comes to your finances, the majority of people say, my finances go to help me live. That is my first priority, and it is built because we live in a culture that is surrounded by me. And so if I am priority number one, what I do has to revolve around me. So in the world's kingdom, live comes first. Number two, though, no matter how selfish you are, you still want to retire. So for a lot of people, they say, I live, then I save. Here's the problem. Today, one in four Canadians say it would take a miracle for them to retire. What does that mean? It means unless I win the lottery, there is literally no way I can retire. Why? Because when you save as priority number two, you can only save from what you have left after living. And for a lot of us, what happens, and this is so weird because we live in Canada. We are the most affluent, one of the most affluent countries in the world. And even more so, we are one of the most affluent countries of all time. We are more wealthy than anyone in the history of humanity. Yet we have no margin. Why? Because the majority of people, although they make more, they spend more. I get a raise, I don't save, I gotta buy a new car. I get a raise, I don't save, I gotta buy a new house. I get a raise, I gotta treat the boys, so on and so forth. And so what happens is that we try to save, but literally one in four people will not be able to save. Um, I got a Bible verse, I think, right? No? Okay. Keep going there. Um, well, well, we'll stay there for one second. So what that means, endless cycle, work more, spend more, work to save, but I can't save, so I work more, but I spend more, and it's a vicious, vicious cycle. Now, I, I don't care how much you love your job. Uh, at some point, you're not going to want to work. When your bones are hurting, your bones are aching, you will not go to work. But I believe that for many of us, we are in a generation where we are on track to die before we'll ever be able to retire because we have no margin. So last thing, um, even in this selfish me culture, we are still created in the image of God. What that means is this, our sinful nature usually takes over if we don't put God first, but there's still something in us that wants to give. And so for a lot of us, we live in this way, where it's like, I wanna give so badly. Like, you know what, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna help people for sure. Like, I just feel it in my heart. We check our bank account, negative 600, and it's like, I really wanted to, but I can't. And so what happens is, and I talk to so many people, it's like, I want to give, but I can't. And I'm not here to question you. I believe it. You cannot give. When you have a negative account, you literally cannot give. But what I want to suggest today is that when God says in his word, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. If you literally have no margin in your life where you're able to give, you're missing out on the blessing of God. And you're actually missing out on what your heart longs for. If you have no margin, oftentimes we miss the miraculous. So 
this is the world's kingdom, and this is the way perhaps so many of us have been living. What I want to do today is I want to flip that upside down. And so, super simple. We read it again in Matthew chapter 6, right? Seek first God's kingdom. So, upside down kingdom, so simply, it means I put God first. God becomes my number one priority. It seems so spiritual. It seems so simple. Harrison, you don't understand my situation. No, no. You want to get out of debt. You want to flip your financial life upside down. Make Jesus the center of your life. Why? Super simple. Devotion shifts priority. Devotion shifts priority. Most of the mistakes that we are making are mental. Meaning I need, I need to mentally change how I do my life. The best way to do that is to be devoted to someone, specifically Jesus. I'll give you guys an example. Um, this last week, January 28th, Christy and I celebrated 10 years of being together. <laughs> Dating, I don't know if that counts, um, but 10 years all in. And so uh, January 2012, when we started dating, I'll never forget it. Um, before we started dating, our first semester of school, I had a bunch of classes with Christy. So I got to spend time with her. My schedule comes out second semester, I had no classes with her. Now at that time, I had no clue what I wanted to do. And so guess what? My number one priority for my second semester at university, my first year, was Christy. And so what I did is I literally rearranged my entire schedule so I could have classes with her. I changed everything. I didn't care. I didn't even know what my degree was going to be. Like, Harrison, are you sure you need that class? I don't know. Christy's in it. Sign me up. Because when you're devoted to something, your entire life shifts. You guys understand what I'm saying? You want to get better financially, shift your life. I can guarantee you this. No matter how spiritual you think you are, you are in the place you are because you have not put Jesus as the number one devotion in your life. It is simple as that because the way of Jesus will lead us to the way of life. So... Back to our chart. First thing, God says, don't live. The first thing God says is give. So when Jesus is the center, how do I rearrange my finances? Super simple. I give. Now, the Bible gives us, it's, it's so amazing. It's so hands-on. It gives you exactly what to give. It says give 10%. The Bible calls that a tithe. We give 10%. We give specifically the first 10% to God. And the reason that we do that is because tithing innately shifts my priority. Because when I give to Jesus, I remember that the most important thing in my life is him. Now, when it comes to tithing, two things I want us to understand. The number, the numerical 10% is important. But what is more important than the number is the principle of first. Now, my, 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 my parents, specifically my mom, um, instilled two things. My mom said tithe, and she said get as much as you can for as cheap as you can. Uh, it's just the, the life lessons that <laughs> I learned from her. Uh, but when it came to tithing, one thing that we, we understood was 10%. And so for my whole life, I, I always kind of gave 10%. Um, but a lot of times, like, I would do it backtracked. What I meant by that is that I'd forget for three months, six months, seven months, then I go backwards. Like, okay, let's figure out 10. Like when I was 12, it was easy. It's like, okay, my allowance was five bucks. <laughs> I owe 50 cents. Um, but uh, even to adulthood, one thing I would do, I would give 10%, but I would never give it first. And so I'd always backtrack. Three months, six months, trying to figure it out. How much do I owe? Let's go back and look at statements, so on and so forth. Pastor Ryan, I've told this before, uh, when we started the church, he challenged me. He said, Harrison, do you tithe? I said, yes. He said, when did you give last? I said, three months ago. He said, you don't tithe. He said, tithing is all about first. It is the first thing that you do. Why? Because that innately shifts your priorities. I'll give you guys a very practical example. We now do e-transfers here at Kingdom Church, which is amazing. Uh, I got paid like two days ago. And so what I do usually is I go to my banking app and I send an e-transfer to the church. But when I open my banking app this time, I saw a credit card bill. And there was something inside my spirit that said, pay that credit card bill. Now that voice was the devil. And so I was about to pay that credit card bill, and it was like, you know, a decent amount. But there was something in my spirit, even louder, that said, give first. Give first. Tithe. 
tithe first. And when I did that, you wouldn't believe just the mindset that shifts. And the reason your mindset shifts is because when you look at all of those things, all of your expenses, you're saying, hey, Jesus, I know there's other things I owe, but I'm going to give you this first. And I've been doing it faithfully for three years, like really that principle of first. And the amount of peace that comes with it is indescribable, indescribable. First is most important um, because devotion shifts priority. And so he says 10%. um, And here's the biblical blessing, verse 10. Malachi chapter 3, maybe you've heard this verse. He says, bring the whole tithe. Bring it all. Doesn't say half the tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Look at this. This is the only place in scripture you hear God say this. He says, test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. Test me. Bring the tithe to me. Test me in this. Listen, he's like, he knows the objections. I don't think I can do it. He says, test me. You're making a dollar? Give 10 cents. Test me. And see, won't I do it? See what God will do. See how God will give you freedom. Now, um, I've heard this verse before and I've heard this blessing. Uh, When I read it this week, uh, I never have seen the verses 8 and 9. Now, Malachi 3.10 is an amen. You guys aren't going to like Malachi 3.8 and 9, specifically if you don't tithe. But I'm going to read it. Here we go. Malachi 3. This is God. He says, will a mere mortal rob God? In other words, who would ever rob God? He says, you rob me. But how? How do I rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you have been robbing me. I don't like that verse. Your whole nation is under a curse because you've been robbing me. I want, to, I want you guys to understand something. On the cross, guess what? Jesus took 100% of our sin. 100%. I thank Jesus he didn't take 10% of my sin. He took 100%, which means everything is his. All blessings flow from him. They come from him, to him, for him. And so what he says literally is 10%. He could have asked for 40. He could have asked for 100. He says, 10% give to me and watch what I'll do. But if not, you're under a curse. Now, maybe you're sitting here in the room thinking to yourself, well, Harrison, I don't tithe and I don't feel cursed. What's going on? Can I get theological for a second? Genesis chapter 3, the fall of humanity. What God says to Adam, he says, the land in which you are on will now be cursed. What that means is that everything that Adam had to do from that point forward was harder than it was supposed to be. Looking now, was Adam able to get things off out of the ground? Absolutely. Are you able to make money right now? Absolutely, even though you're cursed? Yes, you can. But what Malachi and what God is saying in this verse, he's saying you're making it harder on yourself than you have to. Imagine this moment. You're sitting in this place. You've never tithed before, and you're doing pretty good. Imagine what would happen if you had the blessing of God behind you. You think you're good now. Wait till heaven's army is behind you. And so he says, test me in this. I'm speaking boldly because I'm not telling you to test. Mm -mm. You do what you want to do. But God says, test me in this and see what happens. See how doors open. So, again, upside down kingdom, I give. I give. Second thing I do is I save. Listen, you're struggling to have savings. Don't save last. Right after giving, begin to save. Begin to put things away. Um, Proverbs 27, look at this. It says, the prudent see danger and they take refuge. But the simple keep going and they pay the penalty. What does that mean? He's saying the wise understand the road I'm on is not leading me anywhere good. I'm going to get further and further and further behind. But he says the simple or the foolish, they keep going. Listen, if you're in a spot that you do not want to be financially, can I tell you the worst thing you can do is keep on the path you're keeping on? Because if it didn't get you to where you want, it's certainly not going to get you to where you want to go. And so I need to begin to save. 
Listen, especially for those of us that are older, if you have no retirement plan, you need to start saving or you will pay the penalty. And the penalty might be working forever, right? never having margin. But um, if we go back for a second, uh, Megan, I, I put on the screen, um, back, 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 back. Oh, that's fine, whatever. It's on the screen now. We've all seen it. You're good. If you could do math, you've had it anyways. Um, uh, <laughs> so save, right? Harrison, where do I start saving? Um, now, you don't have to put down 10%. You can do 5%. But I think just a really good principle is begin to save a percentage. If you are young, begin to invest. You would not believe the beauty of compound interest. You might think, I just barely get tips at the Bottle Depot. Guess what? Compound interest can do things that you would not believe. So begin to save. Um, the older that you are, definitely save, right? Um, I believe that God has a blessing for us as you get older. It is to be a father, a spiritual father, a literal grandfather, a literal spiritual grandfather to people. But if I have no margin, then I will not be able to see God work through me. And so I need to begin to save. Um, and the last thing, which we saw, it's, it was on the screen before, um, is, to, is to live. Is to live. Right? 80%. But with, the, with the last 80, I'm going to live my life. Right? So what that means, once I've given, once I've saved, now I can pay my bills. Right? Now I can begin to live. Now, now I can begin to, to pay for this, to pay for that, so on and so forth. And here's the beauty and here's the promise of God. He says that when you give, he's going to bless. And so when you give, guess what? You actually have more money to live. But you don't take that and spend it on more stuff because it's an upside-down kingdom. And the more you give, the more you'll see the blessing that is in it, and you will actually want to give more. And so God does not give you uh, money, finances, blessing to raise your standard of living. God blesses you to raise your standard of giving. You think you're blessed for a bigger house? No, you're blessed to give more. Because it isn't is in giving that we receive the blessing. And all of a sudden you will see you begin to have more money to live. Now, for a lot of us, as we look at the upside down kingdom, um, this is literally not possible. It's literally not possible. Because um, you're living really, um, as you're going to see uh, with the next slide, um, all here, 100%. And, and if you guys see the fancy math uh, thing I put in there, um, that's greater than or equal to 100%. Some of us are living at 110%, meaning like I actually have more expenses than I have money. So I definitely cannot save, and I definitely cannot give. And so all my money is going to live in, and I'm in this constant cycle of chasing and chasing, a lack of peace, a lack of peace, a lack of peace. So um, what I want to do, and I'm going to do it really fast, uh, this, is, this is Dave Ramsey stuff. So uh, I just want to give us five things that I think can help get us out of debt um, in order that we can begin to flip our kingdom upside down. So um, five things. You guys can just write these down. I'm, I'm going to go through them quickly. Number one um, is analyze debt. Super simple. Um, what do I owe? Who do I owe it to? You may not know this, but there are certain people that literally have debts they do not know about. It's like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. So I need to know how much do I owe and who do I owe it to, right? You need to understand interest rates. If you have taken out a loan, understand what the interest rate is. So um, just really simple. If you don't know where your money is going, I can almost guarantee you're losing it. Pretty simple. You don't know where it's going? So oh, I don't know what happens to it. Let it be. Uh, chances are you're probably losing it. So number one, analyze debt. Number two, uh, this is a big one, budget. Uh, if you've never budgeted before, today is the day. So budgeting is really, really simple. You have two charts. Chart number one is called income. Chart number two, and it depends how you want to do it, you can go income above um, expenses. Income, expenses. How much do I bring in? How much is going out? Again, it seems fundamental, but for a lot of people, they do not know what is coming in, and they do not know what is going out. And so there's the old school way you can do this. You can write it on a pen and paper. Uh, depending who you bank with, there's actually apps. 
I'm getting practical here. TD has an app. It's called a budgeting app. It literally connects your bank account and it compartmentalizes everything that you spend. It's 2022. Let's live in the future here, people. So whatever it is, just know, where is my money going? And when you do your income, when you do your expenses, there's one fundamental thing that I want you to take from it. Am I in the black, meaning I have some margin, or am I in the red, meaning I actually have more expenses than I do income? And if you have more expenses than you do income, you need a fundamental shift because you literally cannot give and you certainly cannot save. So... Uh, once I've budgeted, number three, super simple, um, reduce spending. Now, again, I grew up with my mother, so I, there's a few tricks I can give you for this one, um, but there are so many ways that you can save. So many ways that you can save. Um, I'll give you a super practical one. If you are struggling financially, do not eat out ever again until you're doing better. Simple as that. There's very, very few places that you can go and buy food that you will come out ahead making something. Even the dollar menu at McDonald's has gone through the roof. It was cheaper back in my day. But you got to reduce spending. Starbucks, guess what? Got a big bag. Like Harrison, I need, I need that Starbucks. Fine. Go to Costco, buy a big bag for $20 and grind it yourself. You will come out literally 10x than you will buying a coffee every single day. I need to reduce spending. If I want to get out of the red, I have to reduce spending. Listen, there was, um, this is back a while ago um, with the pastor. We went to, to go see someone that was struggling financially. She had asked the church for help. And um, one of the things that, that my pastor did back then is he made them um, share all of their expenses with him. And we went to this person's house, and what we found out was that they had the highest cable package you could possibly have. Every channel, every special, every package. And so one of the things that we did uh, we said, hey, if you want the church to help you out, here's a really quick thing we can do. Cancel your cable. Listen, I love y'all. This might sound like it's from the devil. If you can't afford Netflix, cancel Netflix. Or find a mother that loves you. <laughs> Shout out to the mooches out there. <laughs> Listen. Gym memberships, really quickly. You can't afford your gym membership, run outside. You don't, you, listen, you don't, you don't like push-ups, sorry. You need to save $20 a month. All of these little things make a difference because you need to get out of the red. And then number four um, is begin to attack, right? I told you, and like, there's, there's a whole seminar we could go on this, and, and we're probably going to put something together. Uh, my brother does this for a living, so he might help out with that, um, Andrell as well. But I'm just giving you guys the quick points, and you can take it with your life. But um, once you do this, you need to begin to attack. Begin to attack the debt. Now, Dave Ramsey has a saying. He says, all debt is bad debt. No such thing as good debt. Now, you can debate that if you want. That's his saying. No such thing as good debt. So what that means is I need to begin to attack my debts. Two ways to do it, and in his way is this. He says, attack your smallest debt. Whatever is the smallest thing that you owe, attack that and get rid of it, right? Next thing, another thing you need to understand is interest rates. If something is small and has a high interest rate, remember, interest rates are killing you. That is money that the banks are literally stealing for you, from you. So begin to attack, right? Put away money every single month for a certain thing. Um, your mortgage, assuming you can afford it, it's probably the last thing to attack, right? Make sure you pay that. If you can't afford your mortgage, look to sell your house. Kind of simple, right? That's just debt stuff. Um, you may take an L, but depends on, again, your situation. So we're just going through this quickly. Uh, number five, this is the last one. Resist debt. Resist debt. So uh, statistically speaking, you guys would not believe this. Um, a lot of people get out of debt and then get right back into it. It's a cycle. It's like anything. It's like, how? Well, it's the same thing. People quit drinking, then they start drinking again. People get out of debt, they get right back into it. So resist debt at all costs. Let me give you a really simple principle just to help you guys out. The bank is not your friend. It's like, no, Harrison, the commercials are nice. They say we're neighbors. The bank is not your friend. 
Any person, any company, creditor, otherwise, that loans you money is not your friend. Just remember that. I'm not saying you can't use them, but just understand they're not your friend. And what that means is their best interest is not always your best interest. Listen, I, I hear these ads all the time on the radio. I find them hilarious. They say, hey, come to us. No background check. No credit check required. You will be approved. <laughs> you guys heard those? They're not your friends. They are not your friends. Listen, someone wants to babysit my kids, and their pitch is like, hey, no background check required. I'm like, nope. <laughs> so resist that at all costs, because you need to understand this. Pretty well, everything in our world right now can be paid, um, whether credit or even lines of credit or even just straight debt. I found out you can buy clothes, Right? It's like, yeah, pay for this dress. Three small payments of $199.99, right? If you can't afford that dress in one go, don't buy the dress. Super simple, resist the debt. Why? So you can begin to flip your kingdom upside down because there's a blessing that God has for us. The storehouses of heaven are waiting to be poured out on us. So here's kind of the last thing I'm just gonna end with this today. Um, it's just super simple. What brought me here? If I'm in a place I don't want to be, will not get me out of here. What brought me here will not get me out of here. If what brought you here is because you are fiercely independent, you don't need any advice, what brought you here will not get you out of here. Find some advice. I'm just a pastor pretending to do this. There's professional people, Christians, they can help you out. What brought me here will not get me here. And listen, all of this is for freedom. It's for freedom that we've been set free. And what the second half of that verse says, it says, so do not be yoked to slavery. Don't go back. Right? You don't, we've been there. Let's not go back. And as we go on this journey, and I hope today is the start of the journey for so many of us, we're putting back and pushing back the past, and we're pushing forward to what God has for us. It's for freedom that we've been set free so we can step into the calling that God has for us. So, um, again, super practical. There's probably more I could say, but I'm going to pray. Jesus, um, I just, I pray today, Lord, that something's stuck in our spirit. Um, I pray, God, that we can just take these words, um, these practices, these principles, Jesus, and we can just apply them to our lives, God. I pray for those of us that are going to begin to give for the first time, Jesus, that we can see that blessing, um, that peace that passes understanding. Um, and, Jesus, I just pray that you do what only you can do in our hearts and our lives today. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope you were encouraged and inspired. If you want more information, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We'd love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.